you have to find some way to win, even、mm-hmm. though you didn't win a trophy. Hi, you're listening to season two of Love Life Millennials. Have a listen and enjoy. All right, today we have a very special guest joining us today in our talk. As you might have known, I have been doing Toastmasters for quite some time now, and I just recently competed in division level contests. And unfortunately, I was the runner-up, second place. It was a very nice experience, but I had to step down. So I did feel a little bit sad. Even though I did made some improvement and achievement, so today I have invited a very special person. Especially if you're in Toastmasters, you will be very delighted to see him, to have him with us today. He is none other than the 2019 International Speech Comp Champion, Aaron Beverly. So, hi, Aaron. How are you? Very good to have you here. I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Have you been busy、uh, about the contest so far, or are you just、um, doing more on the Toastmasters leadership? So I have been doing more of the Toastmasters leadership side. But the thing is,、mm-hmm. when you win the World Championship of Public Speaking, you can never ever compete in the International Speech Contest again. You can compete、oh. in other contests, but International Speech Contest, which is the only one that goes to the international level, you can never compete again. So I am ineligible for life. Oh, that is so sad because I was—I had so much fun listening to you, especially you know the very iconic 2016 speech, <laughs> 57、yes. words. That's just awesome. All right, so today our topic is about winning mentality, the winning mentality to win and also to lose. A lot of people think that this kind of mentality is only so how we can proceed. Uh, in in winning the competition, but there is, I think, a certain way, a certain mindset to be able to accept loss, and this is very interesting because I have been listening to Aaron's videos, and I know that he has been joining Toastmasters for a long, long time since 2009, and it took him almost a decade in 2019 to be able to win this. So. I wanted to know what was the process like. What did you feel throughout all these decades? Do you want to take us there briefly? Sure. When I started Toastmasters in 2009, I didn't even know about the international speech contest.、Mm-hmm. I was just trying to get involved in Toastmasters because at the time it was the Great Recession, and I needed to find a way to stand out so that I could get a job. I was about to graduate from college, and I did not have any job prospects. I knew that public speaking and communication could get me a better chance、mm-hmm. to get a good-paying job. So that was why I initially joined Toastmasters. But I also joined Toastmasters because I was deathly afraid of public speaking. I wanted nothing to do with public speaking. I had a traumatizing experience when I was in my second year of college, and it really left a bad taste、mm-hmm. when it came to public speaking. But I had to get over the fear if I wanted to get ahead. That's what that was my mindset, and I decided to join in 2009. When I joined, my first speech, I lied to you not, I practiced my speech for 20 hours straight because I was so afraid that I would forget something.、Mm-hmm. But that was a good. It ended up being a really good speech because when I was finished that icebreaker speech, the 
MC, the master of ceremonies, or we call them the Toastmaster of the day. He got up, he looked at everybody in the room. He pointed at me and he said, there is a future world champion of public speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show you that if you just step out a little bit of your comfort zone, you try to confront your fear directly and you practice to get over that fear, mm -hmm. it can lead to some good things. That was the first time I ever heard about the international speech contest. Right. I didn't compete until 2012. Mm -hmm. When I competed in 2012, my mentality was I want <laughs> to win this because of the fame and the, right. the glory and the trophies. I thought that I was going to be a celebrity, that all of the other celebrities were going to want to know me. I, mm -hmm. It was sad now that I look back on it, <laughs> yeah. how delirious I was. <laughs> but that was my mentality at first. Correct, correct. I didn't make it past the second round that year. Yeah. But I have a question though. So in 2009, you did your icebreaker and everyone applauded you. The MC even made you a little bit delirious. but. Why only in 2012 you started the international speech competition? Well, at first it was because I didn't meet the minimum requirement to participate in the contest. Mm -hmm. But once I had enough speeches to participate in the contest, I was afraid. Mm. I didn't want to be judged. I felt uncomfortable. I didn't think that I was good enough. Mm -hmm. All of those reasons rolled into one. And it wasn't until 2012 where I just said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to win the World Championship of Public Speaking because at that time I was the best speaker in almost every club that I went to. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of this started going to my head, which made me think that I'm going to win this contest in 2012. In my first year, I'm finding every type of excuse, like the stars were aligning. 2012 was the year of the dragon. I was born in 1988, the year of the dragon. So I said, okay, this is just fake, even though there were Millions of people also born in the year of the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> but this was all my mentality. I just I thought know, that everything yeah. was aligning. <laughs> so how did you take that loss? It must have been hard for you. Oh uh, yeah, it was very disappointing. <laughs> when when my name was called in second place, mm -hmm. the first place winner came up to me and said, I thought you won. Like, <laughs> I thought I won too. Like, that, yeah. That's not one of the things you should say right now. <laughs> like rubbing But salt to the wound. It, yeah. What made it even worse was that there was one gentleman, he was an experienced Toastmaster at the time mm -hmm. and a competitor. Mm -hmm. He came up to me afterwards without even introducing himself. So I don't know his name at all. Mm -hmm. He comes up to me and he says, do you want to know why you lost? Mm -hmm. If you are a competitive person and you have just lost, the last thing you want to hear from yeah. anybody is, do you want to know why you lost? Yeah. But luckily I maintained my composure and I allowed him to keep talking. But what he told me was that I needed to find help. I mm. just preached to the audience. I just told them what they needed to do. There was no connection to me. There was no story that I was telling the audience that would make them believe my message. It mm -hmm. sounded good, but it was, the cliche is, it was all sizzle and no steak. So it was all style and no substance. Correct. And he told me that I needed to find a mentor. So in 2013, that's what I did. I found myself a mentor. Right. So the mentor helped you out of your rut. Yeah. And it was my mentor. He was the person who introduced me to Toastmasters. His name is Dilip Abesekura. Mm -hmm. He's from Sri Lanka. 
and he was an adjunct professor at my college. Mm -hmm. But it was lucky for me because he was a former international president of the entire Toastmasters organization mm -hmm. back in 2005, 2006. So I had this experienced Toastmaster who introduced me to Toastmasters in the first place, but I had never sought him out to get his expertise or to get his advice on public speaking because he also was a competitor. He placed second in 1992 in the World Championship of Public Speaking. Mm -hmm. He was also a multiple time finalist. And again, I never thought to reach out to him to tell him about my goals and hmm. see if he would be able to help me. And that's a problem that a lot of people have. They think that they, in order to win, that they have to do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. The worst thing that you can possibly do as a competitor in anything is to think that you do it by yourself. It is so hard, in, in my experience, nearly impossible to mm. do it all by yourself. Mm, right. I can totally relate because I was also preparing for my division contest this year and I thought I had it worked out. I prepared all my draft for two weeks and I finally handed my speech to my mentor who then said a little bit similar to what you experienced. He said, do you want to win or do you want to give a good speech? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, if you want to win, I suggest that you make an entirely brand new one. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. And he actually guided me and he said more or less the same thing. He said, I don't feel with you. I don't connect with you. Uh, it, it's full of fancy languages, full of those grand moments. And I was also like you when you did the wolf thing where you were yeah. just like being very theatrical uh, and so yeah those really resonated with me even though i only won second place this time but i think uh, i still learned a lot from this journey so do you want to tell us what you learned from this mentor that you were able to apply when you competed i assume that you continue competing throughout 13 14 15 and 16. yeah absolutely in 2013 that was when i received his direct coaching and direct mentorship mm -hmm. that was the year where he really taught me about forming a good story about getting to the point quicker mm -hmm. about putting images into the audience's head when i'm telling these stories mm -hmm. he taught me about vocal variety to this day he taught me the power of the pause and the pause is one of my favorite tools when it comes to public speaking because it can be done to help you remember something but it could also be done to help the audience catch up to what you're saying mm -hmm. it can also be done for emphasis mm -hmm. and it's the pausing for emphasis that i really love because it's silence is powerful mm -hmm. he really pressed that to me that's something that i remember to this day with his direct mentorship i went from not being able to get out of the second round the area level contest all the way to getting to the semifinals that very next year, just with his direct mentorship. But there was one other thing that he taught me that I had to, it took me a few years to really grasp. It's something that a mentor can stress, but they can't truly teach it. And that's how to be yourself, how to project yourself on the stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was in 2014 where I didn't place in the semifinals in 2013, so I tried again in 2014. That year, the semifinals was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Right. And if you are 
a person who get who got to the semifinals at that point, Toastmasters would fly you out. So I wanted to go to Kuala Lumpur. It was the first time I would ever be in Asia. That was my motivation for 2014. I just wanted to go to Kuala Lumpur. Then when I was competing, I decided to try something a little bit different. I was trying to find a way to be more engaging on the stage to be more energetic. Mm -hmm. And that was the year where you alluded to, I gave my wolf speech where <laughs> I had this speech about a boy who had a dream and he built three houses and there was a big bad wolf and the big bad wolf had a big bad voice like this. Mm -hmm. I love that speech and he would huff, he would puff, he would blow your house down. <laughs> it, it was something that I absolutely <laughs> enjoyed giving. Mm -hmm. But again, I was getting to a point where it wasn't really connecting me to the audience. Mm -hmm. And when I tried that speech in 2014 at the semifinals, it didn't resonate. And I have never looked at that performance ever again because I just knew everything that was wrong. I personally hope that all copies of that speech have been burned and destroyed. <laughs> I don't want to ever look at it again because yeah. it, looking back on it, it was just an embarrassing moment for me that I don't want to relive. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah, I, I especially love your talk about pauses you said that you actually prepared how long you want to keep silent right two seconds three seconds that's like yeah. really when you said prepared speech you took it on a whole new level <laughs> <laughs> but i wanted to know so you 2012 you competed and then you failed in a sense and then you tried 2013 in a sense you also didn't quite get it and 14 did you then doubt yourself because you were the best in your club? You thought you had it all. So what was going on to that throughout those times? Well, by that time, I had started to realize that just because you are the best speaker in your club doesn't mean that you are the best speaker in the world or even one of the best speakers in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I started to realize that the world is a lot bigger and that there are a lot of other good speakers out there who are competing for the same prize. Mm -hmm. It was in 2014, though, where I was able to see somebody who was just a master of connection. That was the 2014 world champion of public speaking, Danajea Hedetarachi. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. His speech was very simple, yeah, but it was powerful because he just established such a connection. Right. And... I mean, it possibly also helped that he's really cool. I just, <laughs> when he got on stage, you just say, wow, that guy is cool. I see something in you. <laughs> yeah. But he inspired me to change my approach and I decided to create a new speech again in 2015. But in 2015, I didn't think that the speech was going to be good. It was just about a simple dating experience that I had. It was a bad date. I learned a lesson from it. I didn't think that this would get me past division. Mm. It got me to district, but I didn't win my district for that third year. But there was a gentleman who came up to me afterwards. He said, Aaron, I heard you the pre previous two times. That is the best speech that I've ever heard you give. Wow. That's when I started to realize, okay, that a personal story is the way to go. Building a personal connection is the way to go. But instead of throwing that speech out, I decided to revise it and make it better. A lot of people, when they don't, when something doesn't give them the result that they want, they just try to throw it to the side and create something new. That's not always the best thing to do. Sometimes you may be onto a good thing. So you want to keep it, revise it, change it, make it better, 
and then use it again. That's what I did in 2016. In 2016, I had the benefit of being in proximity to two districts. So I took my one speech from District 38 to District 18. And with that revised speech, that speech that at first I didn't think could get me past the division, the speech that I thought that nobody would really enjoy because it was so basic, that speech took me to the World Championship of Public Speaking in 2016. Mm, the 57-worded one. Yep, that was the year where I gave the 57-word title <laughs> speech. Yeah, I think they might have modified the rule because of you, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, they haven't, and I'm surprised by that. I was waiting for that moment where I could say like, okay, this is the Aaron Beverly rule. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to use that gimmick now, but we can't now because you, in, in a sense, <laughs> copyrighted that one, so that's good on you. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is funny because I never... I didn't create it myself. I was just the first person to use it at that stage. Exactly, exactly. So when you said you started to focus more on the improvement, do you then go to a certain contest having this particular aspect or element in your storytelling that you want to practice? For example, you talk about vocal variety. Do you perhaps say, okay, even though I lost this contest, the next time, at least I will want to be better at this. Is there anything specifically in mind or you just give it your best and figure out what you learn overall? Yeah, that's a good point because it was around that time. I would say it was about 2000. It was in 2014 where I started to have a mindset that I want to improve something. Mm -hmm. In 2014, I wanted to improve my energy on stage. I wanted to seem more energetic. I wanted to have more vocal variety because I felt that I was a little bit more monotone. Right. Then in 2015, I wanted to start using a personal story. In 2016, I wanted to revise the speech, but that was the year where I also just started to have little goals that I wanted to do. So that was the year where I started my two questions. What message do you really want to share? And what do you want to improve on when it comes to public speaking? If mm. I couldn't answer both of those questions, I told myself that I would not compete. Mm. I started having the mindset of growing and getting better. And that really came to fruition in 2016, where I wanted to create just a process for refining because to get to the world championship, you have to give your speech a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I was limited to the different clubs that I could go to. So I had to find a way where I could get enough repetition behind my speech and enough practice. But at the same time, not have to travel by train for hours at a time just to speak at one club for seven minutes and then spend hours going back home. So I just started to develop a process for my public speaking or my speech preparation. And that speech process really helped me refine my speech. And the biggest benefit that came out of that was finding that recording myself is one of the best ways that you can practice. Mm -hmm. Because we have our speech in our head, we think that, okay, this sounds good, I think, but until you actually hear it, you don't know what the speech truly sounds like. And when you're able to hear yourself speaking and you're able to get over the pain of listening to yourself, you're able to see or hear your own mistakes. And if you watch it on video, you're able to see your own mistakes. So that really helped me. It helped me refine my speech. It helped me become my own best evaluator that helped me get to the world championship in 2016 as well awesome awesome so you actually 
look at your own recording and try to learn from it. But don't you ever have like this feeling when you just created something that you feel like this is the best thing in the world, <laughs> and you just can't see any flaw from it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at first when I started making my speeches, that's exactly my mindset. Mm-hmm. But as I started improving, I realized that it's a little bit better to have a mindset of okay. I think I can improve this some way. Hmm. If you start to be the devil's advocate for yourself, and you say you just don't accept that everything is perfect, mm-hmm. that's when you'll challenge yourself to find improvements. And one of the other things that I did, I started looking at other speakers. Mm-hmm. I started looking at speakers not just in Toastmasters. I started looking at TED talkers. Mm-hmm. I started looking at comedians. And comedians are some of the best modern-day public speakers. I agree because they have to engage people. Their job is to be engaging. Their job is to entertain and to keep attention. If they don't do that, they're not going to get paid. Mm. So they're excellent public speakers. They're excellent storytellers. I, I learned a lot from outside speakers, and that I incorporated some of the things that I thought I could use. Some of the things that I thought were interesting. And try to incorporate them into my speech, and that helped me also try to make my speech better. It kept me from just being stagnant and saying, "Okay, this is good enough." Right. So I know, aside from doing your own self evaluation, you also did some brand outs and demo sessions so that you can obtain feedback from your peers as well, especially yep. from your contest speech. But how do you try to filter out which ones are important and which ones are not important? Yeah, that's also the year in 2016 where I started to apply what I call feedback filters. Mm-hmm. You can't apply every single piece of feedback that you get mm-hmm. because if you do that, you're going to end up with a very mediocre speech. Mm-hmm. There were many people who told me not to have a really long title. They told me to shorten it instead of 57 words to make it 20 words. Mm-hmm. But my thought process was. There are people in the audience who can remember 20 words. It's easier to remember 20 words than it is 57. Mm-hmm. So that was actually the point where somebody told me to make it shorter. That's when I decided to make it 57 words. I made it even longer than I had it. Mm. But the the thing about feedback is that you have to one let some time pass before you even think about applying that feedback. Time is the first feedback filter that I always utilize. Whenever I get feedback from somebody, I don't try to implement it immediately. I allow time to pass because, believe it or not, even though I'm a Toastmaster, I hate feedback. <laughs> because similar to what you said, I view my speeches as my children, and how dare you tell me that my children are not perfect in every single way? <laughs> I worked hard on these speeches. You must tell me that it's perfect. Correct. But that—that's my emotion. Uh-huh. I have to allow time to pass to allow my emotion to subside, so that I can think about the feedback objectively. When I'm able to think about it objectively, I'm able to piece out anything that was relevant and take out anything that wasn't. So, for instance, I remember there was one piece of feedback that I received in one of my practice sessions where I used to ask a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. I asked them how many of you can remember all of the 57 of those words. There would always be somebody that would raise their hand, <laughs> always. And yeah. I know full well that they wouldn't. They did not remember all 57 of the words. But somebody gave me the feedback that if you don't want a answer, don't ask a question. 
Mm, yeah. So I decided to take it out and just give them a challenge and just say, mm. if you can remember all 57 words of that title or recite every single word of that title, go. And nobody could do it, Yeah. which is exactly what I wanted to make my point. So there is some good feedback that comes out of it. So you can never dismiss it, but you have to filter it. So the first filter is time. Another filter is if it makes sense. So if you're able to understand the feedback, if you're not able to understand the feedback, don't apply the feedback. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. Be, mm. Yeah. It could be that you're just not ready to apply it. You're just not ready to receive that lesson mm -hmm. and maybe you'll experience something down the line where all of a sudden oh okay now that feedback makes sense but i never advise anybody to apply feedback if they don't understand what that feedback is mm. whenever i have a coaching session with my clients i always ask them do you understand what i'm saying if they don't understand it i try to explain it in a different way if they still don't understand it i just tell them to okay we'll just put that to the side for now so never apply feedback that you never understand. But the last feedback filter that I'll give you for right now is my circle of counsel. A circle of counsel is a small group of people who you know and trust to give you feedback. I always say that I am the judge, the jury, and the executioner of my speeches. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is just a lawyer trying to present their case. Mm. But when it comes to my circle of counsel, I give them more authority than other people to make changes to my speech. Mm -hmm. My circle of counsel usually included my mother, my sister, and my mentor, Dilip Abesekara. They were the only ones allowed to give me feedback, which I would try to apply as soon as possible. Right. And each one had different roles. So everybody in your circle of counsel does not have to have the same role. My role for my mother and my sister, their role was to tell me if I was being authentic. If the person that I was on stage was the person that they interacted with every day. Mm -hmm. And my mentor, Dilababa Sekra, his job was to tell me if my fundamentals were strong, if there was anything in public speaking that I needed to do to improve the speech. Ironically mm -hmm. enough, by 2016, I had developed enough where Dilip really didn't give me too much feedback. Mm -hmm. It was that at that time where he allowed me to just keep growing on my own. And that's the that's a sign of a really good mentor. A lot of mentors try to keep their mentees and say, and always give them advice. But Dilip was more so like, okay, it's time for you to fly. Right, yeah. I can totally relate to your story just now because I also had those practice sessions where I was really creating this moment and I asked one question and then there's always one random audience who just replied and they, and the audience burst into laughter and that was not the effect that I wanted. That's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I had to really make sure that they do not answer next time. <laughs> yeah. So when you're talking about applying feedback and evaluation, okay, that is something that we need to do so that we can improve even though we might have lost or we might have we might not have achieved what we wanted to achieve. But let's talk about now that you have achieved your what you wanted. So say for you the epitome of our public speaking journeys to become the international speech contest or you know what let's just backtrack a little bit as you win your division or area contest how did you try to keep evaluating your speech because you just won first place and you have like a certain one month window right to do yeah. to, to 
refine it before the next contest. What what was the thing that you tried to really sharpen on your speech, or did you just just like the evaluation, the the feedback filter, you gave it some time before you look back to your speech? Well, what I started to do, I would work on my speech until I got it to a point where I thought, okay, I don't think I can do anything more with mm. the speech. And then I would start testing it. When I would test it, I would see what lines worked and what lines didn't. If I thought I had a line that was really good and really hilarious, mm -hmm. I would test it. And there were times when nobody would laugh or nobody would get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I would challenge myself to say, okay, this piece of content does not work. Let me try to find something else that fits within the story that could work just as well, if not, or sorry, not just as well, but work even better. And sometimes it wasn't just a matter of being humorous. Maybe it was a line where I kept trying to be humorous, but the audience really wasn't getting it. So I just decided to just put something in to move the plot along instead of just trying to get some humor out of it. Mm. So the audience, I learned this from 2000 champ, year 2000 champion Ed Tate, that the audience will always give you the answer. When the audience would react to something positively, I knew that I was onto something good. If I wanted the audience to react a certain way and they didn't, mm -hmm. that's when I knew I had to go back to the drawing board for that piece of content and revise it or change the approach in some way. The approach or the change could have been in the delivery. The change could be a couple of lines. So I would just be a mad scientist about it and just try to tweak things to see if the minor tweak would give me a better result. Mm, so those small but incremental things that you might have missed in the in your previous speech, and then you just try to keep looking for it, right? And just trying to yeah. find different audience to give you different inputs. Yeah. And one big key that people can't overlook is that in speaking, I call this the golden rule of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And that is KYA, know your audience. Right. By this time, I had seen so many different contests. I had studied so many different Toastmaster speeches. I started to recognize what Toastmasters found humorous. I started to learn what Toastmasters found engaging. I started to find what Toastmasters didn't like. Mm. I was able to hypothesize that certain things would make them react positively. Mm. I was able to hypothesize that certain things would make them react emotionally. So that's what I really started to dive into. So whenever I would watch somebody, for instance, instead of just hearing what they're saying and finding it funny, I started to dive deeper by asking the question, okay, why did the audience react this way? What did I find funny about this? What specifically did I find funny about this? Was it the line? Was there irony that I thought was funny? Was it their facial expression that I thought was funny? Mm. So doing things like that helped me really understand how and why the audience was reacting. Well, one of the things that I did on stage that people thought was funny, in my 2016 speech, there was a story about a bus lady of doom. Yep, yep. And when the bus lady of doom receives a compliment, she, I have this huge smile on my face and people just, people just laugh because of that really big exaggerated smile. Mm -hmm. I actually got that technique from a comedian named Eddie Murphy. 
Oh. In one of his specials, he actually did that really wide smile. And because of that really wide smile, because it was so exaggerated, because we know that nobody really smiles like that, <laughs> it was funny. So I decided to use it in my own speech and it worked just as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like to the less ambitious listeners, we will be judged as obsessed, right? And I, I did feel it feel that way too, you know, when for the division contest, I recited every single day. I feel like I must have at least achieved 100 times just like reciting on my way to work when I take a bath. I'm pretty sure my roommate thinks I have some problem, you know, like talking in a bathroom <laughs> all by myself. But I found that at one point I was a little bit bored and mm. i wanted to ask you about this like have you ever felt like the process to be like so tedious the way you recited it over and over again and that you just suddenly found no emotion in the speech itself mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons why i don't like to recite the same speech over and over again i see mm-hmm. so when i record myself i have an audio recording that i listen to over and over again mm-hmm. i don't want to make my mouth and body so used to giving the speech that I lose the emotion behind it. But in addition to that, I always try to recall the moment. So I always try to find strong moments that really moved me emotionally Mm. so that I can recall it when I need it. it. It's an acting technique. So I always tell people that when it comes to performing a speech on stage, acting is not bad. People think that if you try to act on stage, that it's bad. Acting is not bad. Bad acting is bad. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're trying to recall the emotions, you're trying to bring up those images of that moment in your head so that you can emote, that's a good technique for acting. Mm. And one of my favorite stories, uh, again, going to 2016, was the story about the girl Michelle. Mm -hmm. Michelle was from China and she was in America studying. Mm And she was afraid of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And she gets on stage to do an impromptu speech. When she gets the prompt, she just goes blank. Wow. And I still remember the moment, the look in her eyes when she's tearing up. And then she says, when my mom believed in me, that was the greatest moment of my life. And I just remember how I felt when I heard that. Even now, just thinking about it, it gave me a tingle down my spine. So I always tried to recall that emotion. And I was actually disappointed in 2016 because I did not give that line. I did not try to recall that moment. And I felt that I did my story and my speech in 2016 a disservice because when I got to the world championship, I had suddenly forgot all about the just doing this for growing and trying to find a goal to improve myself. I wanted to win. I was focused on winning. And then I messed up on one part of my speech And then it was stuck in my head. And because it was stuck in my head, I was concentrating on just getting through the speech and not really, not really investing myself in the message, if that makes sense. Yeah. I regretted that. I see. So when you're saying, what you're saying is that to win a speech, you don't really need to think of winning a speech, but really just to be present in the stage and be focused on what you want to deliver to the audience right because as you said kya when you know your audience and your audience matters then their reciprocity will ultimately be to your benefit exactly and so that really set a tone for me in the following years where 2017 
my goal that year was just to get on stage and worry about my message. I wanted to concentrate on giving a good message and making sure that when I left the stage that there was nothing more that I could have done for that speech at that time, that I delivered it the exact way that I wanted to. So 2017 was all about my speech execution and my message execution. I wanted to make sure that I gave my message the right way. And in 2017, I didn't even place in the semifinals, even though I made it back that year, mm -hmm. I didn't place again. And I remember being more content in 2017 than I was in 2016 because I knew that I did my absolute best and that there was nothing that I could have done for that speech at that time. Wow, that's really powerful. Being content even though you lost. Yep. I hope I can achieve that. <laughs> it, it's really hard. I mean, at the end of the day, you still want to win. Mm -hmm. Like nobody ever goes into a contest thinking, oh boy, I can't wait to lose in the first round. <laughs> nobody ever thinks like that. Yeah, yeah. Every You compete, you want to win. Sometimes you may not expect to win, but deep down you want to win. That's mm -hmm. the reason why you compete. But there comes a moment where you just say, okay, there are a whole bunch of other people who are really good. Mm -hmm. There is a good chance that I'm not going to win this. So. I'm just going to enjoy this moment and I'm going to find some way to win out of this contest, even though I may not win the top prize. I'm going to find a way to get better. I'm going to find a way to change my speech and make it improve it. I'm going to find a way to touch somebody's life. You have to find some way to win, even mm -hmm. though you didn't win a trophy. Right. 